0: Well, good morning, Mercy family. As Carolina Grace said, we are uh, continuing to walk through the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bible, Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. We're going to start over in verse 9. We're going to meet a couple of different characters this morning, but there's going to be a, a theme that we're going to see throughout our time um, in chapter 8. We're going to go from verse 9 all the way to verse 40. We're going to cover some ground this morning. What we're going to see is that God is extending? He's extending His mercy to each person on the earth who will receive it, and I think that's what we need to hear today. I think what we need to pause, just pause our hearts as much as we can. I know maybe uh, you're with the the kiddos if you've got got kids, it might be a little more challenging. And look, we're all trying to make the most of the moment we're in. All right, so give yourself a lot of grace with that. But collectively, I think we need to to pause our hearts and just receive from God, just receive from him. I think about how the ground has shifted again on us, even over the weekend, you know, on Friday afternoon, um, Governor Cooper announces the stay at home order for the whole state yesterday. We're probably, uh, I know if you were like my family, just trying to get our feet underneath this with how we're gonna um, best comply with that. And then, okay, so here we are again this morning to, to worship together. So if you're feeling a little uneasy, a little shaken or scared right now, I want you to know that's okay. Right, I want you to know that God is here and God is, is here for you in this moment. Uh, whatever has happened in the past few days, our, our God is still in control. He is still on the throne and still here for us this morning and here to offer himself to us and great promises from his word to us uh, as we worship together this morning. I know we've got a lot of people joining us uh, for the first time. It's been the case these past few weeks, and I want to say welcome uh, our pastor's prayer team Uh, leaders are here to serve you, to pray for you. You can use those links uh, that Jessica mentioned earlier to figure out how you can connect up with us. We'd love to pray with you and get to know how we can serve you in this time. I believe for most of us, the situation we're in, COVID-19 and the the new reality that that's created, it's a total shakeup. But what I believe y'all is I believe this is a moment where God is working maybe more visibly and powerfully than we have ever seen in our lifetime. I believe it. I believe he's waking us up to show us how he is working in different ways. This is a moment for us, which is why we've gone into uh, the book of Acts, because we see uh, their whole world shaken up, especially starting in Acts 8. Their whole world shaken up, and then how do we follow God in a, in a whole new situation that we've never been in before? Y'all, I believe God has a good deep work to do in us if we will pause our hearts and minds and receive it from him. we got a moment where the fragile reality of life is really on us. It's front and center. That's the reality the New Testament was written into. And it speaks, the New Testament speaks into a reality that was aware that life um, just wasn't as bulletproof as often we think it to be. And it speaks real hope into that life. And today I'm telling you what you're going to see in this passage is God is extending mercy to each person on the earth who will receive it. You're going to see two reactions to this gift of mercy in this passage. You'll see one, this guy named Simon that we're going to see first. He's going to try and control that gift. He's going to try and manipulate that gift. He's going to try and control God to serve his own ends. And then we're going to see another, the Ethiopian eunuch, who's just going to surrender to it. And receive it and receive all the blessings that come with it. So you follow along. We're going to jump in here, all right? We're going to start in verse 9. I want you to read with me. There was a man named Simon. He had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. He was the one claiming that, right? They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God because he called himself that. They were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. See, Simon was basically kind of the spiritual godfather of this community. He held power over them through this magic, this sorcery, church history tells us that he would end up being a, a cult leader. He was in serious opposition to the church, and he had a serious uh, power trip going on, right? If you call yourself the great power of God, that's a pretty big power trip. And the, the Samaritans had been in spiritual bondage to this guy. That's our scene that, this, that our friend Philip, who is a Christian, but who's not one of the apostles that leads the church, Because all the apostles that lead the church are still stuck back in Jerusalem. Philip has been scattered through the persecution, right? One of the deacons of the church. And now he's wandering into this Samaritan city and he starts preaching. And verse 12 says, as he proclaims, right? When when he proclaims the good news about the kingdom, both men and women are baptized. Look, like I said, we saw Philip flee persecution. They're all scattered. That's the whole context for volume two of our series. Christians no longer able to meet together in their church, forced to figure out a new normal. Does that sound familiar? And as they went, as they're scattered, these Christians, members like Philip, they're telling the gospel. So Philip comes to Samaria. And of course, what does he do? He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God. And in this power He starts, if you look back at verse 7, just a few verses earlier, he starts casting out demons. He starts healing people who are paralyzed and hurt. And this power was greater than what the Samaritans had seen from Simon. They'd seen power from Simon, but nothing like this. This power that is all over the scriptures, this power of God to set people free from spiritual oppression, to set people free from physical pain, it's still here, church. So I want you to hear that this morning. That power of God is still with us because the same spirit that was walking with Philip, it's the same spirit that walks with us. Now, we can't control it. That's Simon's problem. But we can't call on the good God, our God, our Father in heaven, who loves to give it to his children. Now, not only that, it's important to see Philip wasn't proclaiming his name. Right? This wasn't Philip the Great against Simon the Great, right? Philip wasn't trying to control the Samaritans. He was just proclaiming good news. Fellow sinners, there's life in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. This is freedom, he's proclaiming. Freedom from sin. Philip's saying, "It's not me. it's not Simon. It's not Caesar. God. And Jesus Christ, He's the good king you need. And then we get what seems like a really cool moment. What's, look at verse 13. This seems great. This seems like the story that we want to hear, right? Even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere. You're thinking, man, this guy's a great disciple. He was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Simon believes, at least it, it looks that way at first. But his amazement at the miracles is a tip that he wasn't so much excited about Jesus and the offer of salvation as he was about the power that Philip had. Simon wants to control God. This we're going to see in a minute with him. He wants to control God and specifically God's power so that he can continue to control the Samaritans that he had previously had control over. And then verse 14 comes when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John down to them. After they went down there, they Prayed for them as Peter and John prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit, because he had not yet come down on any of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. This is a very big moment. It's big. It's going to be one of our takeaways from this passage. Samaria is outside of Jerusalem. So what we heard in Acts 1:8, where Jesus said to the disciples, You're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to start in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Now that kind of phase two of the mission is happening, right? Samaria is receiving the gospel. Samaria, who I, I don't want to get too far into it, but it's really powerful to know their backstory. They had a long history of rebelling against God. You read their story in the Old Testament, you see Samaria as the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were in a serious north versus south feud that lasted for generations and generations in the southern kingdom. They had a few good kingdom, a few good kings, and Jerusalem becomes the center of worship, and Jesus the Savior comes into Jerusalem. But then he said the first thing that his people are going to do is going to go to their rivals and make peace with them through the power of the gospel. The Jews there in Jerusalem, they despised the Samaritans. That's why when Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, it's seen as a scandal. He's not even supposed to talk to these people. And now by Peter and John, leaders, apostles, leaders of the church in Jerusalem, laying hands on them and the Holy Spirit coming. This is a milestone in church history. The two who are now apart are restored as one in God's kingdom. This doesn't happen the same way now when we receive salvation in Christ. We we receive the Holy Spirit as we receive salvation. Paul tells us that in Ephesians 1. But God does this to emphasize the importance of his kingdom being a kingdom where all of his people are united together. And then verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power. Give me this power also, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted what they had. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you. Peter has a way of getting pretty hot under the collar sometimes. Holy anger. May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Simon wanted power. Wanted to be able to control God so that he could control people. Keep them in a place of fear under him. And God allowed Peter to see right through this and to actually say what you and I need to hear. You have no part or share in this matter because why? What's the underlying reason? Your heart is not right before God. So let me ask you a very important question. I want to ask it gently, but it's important right now. Why are you coming to God? What's your motivation? What's bringing you to God? There's a pastor, Tim Keller, tells the story of this college student who was um, in a whole bunch of different relationships, this guy in a whole bunch of different relationships, used to brag about it and everything, and then has this um, radical conversion, right? Um, Comes to saving faith in Christ, and then uh, something interesting happens in this uh, campus ministry that he was involved in. He's a very dynamic guy, starts getting into a lot of leadership positions and kind of higher up pretty quickly, and what people started to notice is that he was very bossy and kind of controlling over the people that he was supposed to be leading. And eventually the guy that pulls him, the guy that led him to faith, pulls him aside and says, listen, man, you still, (laughs) your God, you haven't really fully come to Jesus yet. Your God is still control and power over people. You just kind of change the source where you get that to something that's more palatable to Christians. See, it's good for us in this moment to be woken up by our circumstances, to our need for God. But to come to God just so that he will serve us is not what he's calling us to. That's using God to get what we think will satisfy us. A heart right before God is one that says, God, I surrender fully and completely to you. All I have is yours. I want you. I want your presence with me. God, you are better for me. Your presence with me is better than anything else that I could want for myself. Y'all, some of us have been around church for years because church has provided a good community, a good moral code to live by, some sense of purpose. But unless you have turned from your sin and said, God, you're in control of my life. I want you. I want you, you alone. Unless you've made that turn, then your heart is still off. But when you do, when you see God for who he really is, say, God, I want to surrender to you. I don't want to try and control you to get something else. I just want you. Then you're able to say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, better to be in the fire with my God than outside of the fire without him. You can say with Daniel, better to be in the lion's den with my God than outside the lion's den without him. You can say better to be in the hospital bed with my God than safe in my apartment without him. I want you to see what Peter says next to Simon, because it's the extension of mercy that we all need. Verse 22. Therefore, repent of your wickedness, this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, your heart's um, intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Simon's done something pretty shady here, pretty pretty wicked, Peter says, but he says, you can still repent and the Lord can still forgive you. That is God extending mercy out to a sinner. And this is the story of the gospel that even when we who approach God wrongly, when we we approach him wrongly and then the spirit reveals it to us and we're like, man, I've been, I've been doing this wrong. I haven't been coming to God just For God, I've been going to God to try and get other things. And what I need, I I didn't realize that. now Now I'm seeing it. In that moment, God is extending mercy to each one of us. He's still extending mercy if we'll repent, which means just to turn, to turn from our ways and to turn back towards him to come home. That's the hope for you and I today. Has your heart, if your heart's been cold towards God, Christian, have you been faking faith while actually just living for yourself? Hear God's voice today. Repent and receive forgiveness. God is extending his mercy to you afresh today. New mercy this morning and with it his Holy Spirit, which is what we need more than anything. His Spirit means God's presence with us even now. You see how Simon responds. Simon says, well, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon can't bring himself to it, and so he he hopes that he can ask Peter to do it instead. And and that's all we really know from Scripture about where Simon's story ends. Church history tells us Simon continues on as a false teacher, never got his heart right with God because he didn't want God. He wanted control over people, and God would never give that to anyone. That's for God and God alone. Y'all, i got a couple of takeaways as we walk through the Scripture today that I thought, um, thought it's best just kind of share them with you as we go through these two stories. And this first one with Simon, here, here it is. Listen, to, uh, to just kind of play on words a little bit, to both sinful saints and to saintly sinners, God is extending his mercy to you today. To sinful saints, to people who've been trying to walk with God and you're realizing God is exposing some areas where you actually haven't been, you've still been trying to use God to serve yourself, he's extending mercy to you today. And to those who, uh, your heart isn't right with God at all, and you've just been kind of putting on a front to help people think that you're a follower of Christ, kind of like Simon, but really you're after your own ends and you're realizing you're seeing that today and your heart's being exposed today. God's extending his mercy to you today. He's extending it out. Mercy in the form of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent, turn from that, and receive the forgiveness that he offers Forgiveness is reconciliation to God, which brings with it the true presence of God. That's what we all need. Now, let me read you what happens next. Our second story. The gospel comes to Africa in these next 14 verses in a really powerful way. It's a massive moment in the global spread of the gospel. I want to read the whole thing for you, all right, starting in verse 26. Again, it's 14 verses, just a a monumental moment in church history. Here we go. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So the spirit told Philip, don't you love, by the way, we're going to keep seeing this, the interaction with the spirit of God and his people. It's very vibrant in this, and it can still be vibrant with us anyways. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. I love this. So he invited Philip to come up, sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. This is Isaiah 53 that he's reading. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth? Then the eunuch said to Philip, ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? (laughs) What a great setup, just a real softball. And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that very scripture. As they were traveling, Down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and I do not know fully how that happened. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip appeared in Azotus, and as he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Just like Simon, the Ethiopian eunuch, hears the gospel. You got to understand eunuchs were generally looked down upon because of their condition, though this particular man is is a high court official. So there's certainly something different about him. You know, still though, in the back of his mind, there's a little bit of inferiority that comes with the stigma associated with him, but he's reading Isaiah 53 and Philip is willing to go wherever God leads. So he goes up because God tells him to, and he shares the gospel, how it's actually about Jesus. And then like Simon, he's baptized as the sign that he's surrendering his life to Jesus. See, I'm gonna tell you, when we all get back from this kind of um, isolation, distancing thing that we're doing, listen, we're gonna have plenty of baptisms. We're gonna have a baptism moment. Plenty of you need to get baptized because it's your way of saying, yes, I believe, three times in Acts 8. What we've seen is people believe, respond to the gospel, and the public sign of that is baptism. It's surrendering, saying, God, I believe now. I receive your salvation. I'm his. I want you to know something. For this eunuch, there's a promise a couple of chapters later in Isaiah, Isaiah 56. God says, for the eunuch who keeps my covenant, I will give them a name better than sons and daughters. This eunuch was just about to get that. He's going to be, as he continues reading, this is what he's going to hear. An everlasting name that will never be cut off. The African eunuch who could not be more culturally or socially different than Peter is being welcomed by God, being honored by God as a part of God's people now. Can you imagine his joy? He goes on his way rejoicing. He'd found acceptance by God. He'd finally found unconditional love. Church history tells us he plays an instrumental, maybe the key role in founding The church in Africa, and what I want you to hear from this is simply that God offers hope to all people, to all people. The church, y'all, it's expressed locally in our body of Christ and in other bodies of Christ, but it is truly universal. It is a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God says, 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you're identified as a people. The people of mercy is what Peter calls him, which means you have a tighter bond. You, right now, you and I, we got a tighter bond with the believer in Wuhan, China, than the non-believer living across the hall from you. And there's a beautiful day coming where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will gather around the throne, and we will say together, worthy is the lamb. Worthy. And our hope for that glorious day that's coming is what carries us in this day. Now, I told you there were two reactions. There's Simon who tries to manipulate and control God to to serve himself. And then there's the eunuch who just surrenders to God and then serves God the rest of his life. There's actually a, a third response too, though. It's Philip. It's Philip. Right Wherever God told him to go, he went. He went. And as he went, he operated as an agent of gospel hope to all the people that he went to. And this is the thing that I think God is calling us to, to believers, to Mercy Church right now, especially here in our community, but wherever you are, he's calling us to practice and proclaim the mercy of God wherever it is that he has you right now. Where's he got you right now? Wherever God sent Philip, he went, which I think is our first thing is to, to get before the Lord in prayer and ask him, God, where are you sending me right now? Who do you have in my life? And he brought the power of God with him wherever he went. Where people were suffering, he met their needs. And he told them about the God who gave, them, gave him that power. Where people needed spiritual guidance, he gave it. We may be physically distancing ourselves from one another, but we cannot be in isolation right now. We cannot cocoon ourselves from the world. Our world needs the hope that comes from the mercy of God. So let's find ways to give it, church. Let's get creative and find ways to give that hope. Maybe it's offering financial assistance to those who have been put out of work through all of this. You know, there there are estimates that say by the time this is all said and done, it's gonna be like 20% unemployment. Let's get creative and let's get sacrificial with how we can can help serve those that are in need and that sense they're coming in need. Maybe it's helping elderly family members. I don't know, I don't know. My prayer for you is that, you would ask the Lord. Because here's what I do know. God is working right now. He is working. He is moving. And he's going to do his work through the church. He sent Philip away from a a booming new ministry in Samaria that he had only gotten there because of persecution in Jerusalem. He sent him away from that into the middle of the desert to proclaim the gospel. Church. He always does his work through the church. And he is ready to do a work through you and I. And so I want you to begin praying. Who is it that God has called me? Who, who is it God is calling me to deliver gospel hope to? See, what God is doing is he's at the same time drawing us closer to him. We need his presence more than anything else. And he's sending us out to give that mercy away to all who will receive it. So I want to give you a couple of things to pray through together. Uh, there in your living room. Just a couple of things that uh, you can kind of respond to this message with. The first one is just to pray, God, I'm going to choose you over, and then you fill in the blank. We'll just leave that blank for you. I'm going to choose you over this today. For Simon, it was I'm going to choose the the decision he didn't make was to choose God. I'm going to choose you over control, over power, over pride. He didn't make that call, but we can. What is it that you need to surrender to God today? Maybe it's I'm going to choose you over fear. I'm going to choose you over just self-indulgence. Whatever it is, you take a minute and you just pray that to him. And then the second one, God, show me where you are leading me to practice and proclaim your mercy. Where are you leading me, Father? What would you have me do in this setting where I feel like I maybe I can't do anything cuz it feels so confining? No, the Lord is still calling us and is still ready to use us to proclaim, to proclaim and to practice his mercy. You take a couple of minutes and you pray as the Lord leads. All right, I want us to respond together now, Um, just simply in song. There's a song that our worship team wrote with our student director, um, Alan, and it just says, God, everything, we commit everything into your hands. You're going to hear there's a lyric there in Swahili as well, which um, Alan's from Kenya. This is his native language. And there is a beautiful, even as we sing in two languages, a beautiful reminder that the gospel is hope for all people. The gospel is a hope for all people. So would you there in your living room, if you would join us as we sing this song together, and then I'll close out our time of worship together this morning. You stand and let's sing.